We've been in a series as a church in the Gospel of Mark. This morning we are in Mark chapter 12, so I'm going to invite my friend Ryan to come up. He's going to read from Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn there. If not, uh, the lyrics are the... I said it again. <laughs> the lyrics. Are they lyrics technically? I think I might be right. Are they? We'll go with that. Anyway, the words to the Bible, the holy book of the Bible, are up here on the screen. If you would like to sing along with Ryan, you're very welcome to do so. Here we go. Come on up, Ryan, and we'll use this microphone right here. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Okay. So, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which of the commandments is most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Thanks, Ryan. You're welcome. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together before we look into this. Just, just with, uh, if it's all right, just with heads bowed and eyes closed, it's just a way of helping to focus Ourselves. Just before I pray, I want to just ask a question. That's this. Why are you here this morning? Is there something that you're looking for this morning? Is there something in your life that you realize there may be a void in or something that you have put your attention towards hoping that it would find, you'd find fulfillment or joy or meaning or purpose and it hasn't quite delivered what you hoped that it would Just believe that God would have you know this morning that you you are in the right place. Not because there's something particularly special about this local church, but because you've come somewhere where you're going to hear from the Word of God. And all of God's words are for you and for your good. So God, I thank you that we worship a God who is for us. A God who is so mighty, so powerful, so, so other in so many ways, yet is still so near to us and close and has made a way for us to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. God, thank you for that. God, we, we really do, uh, we've already been singing of it this morning, that this is amazing grace, and we do marvel at this amazing grace that you've shown us through, through Christ Jesus through you sending your Son. And Holy Spirit, right now, even as we open the Bible together, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be in my words. I pray that they would make much of Jesus, that they would point us to him, and that each of us in this room, whether there are those in this room who have known you for many, many years or those in this room who have come this morning and that are searching and are just don't quite know where they stand when it comes to Jesus Christ. God, for all of us, I pray that we would leave this place knowing more of him, knowing more of the truth of your word and your heart that is for us. I pray that we would all this morning uh, surrender uh, our lives to the King, to the King of Kings. I pray it all for His glory. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a pretty miserable year for hockey fans um, in this city, at least. I was texting a buddy of mine last night while I was watching the last period of the, uh, the Toronto Penguins game, 
and uh, saying, oh, it's a pretty good, pretty good night to be a Leafs fan. Just wait. Let's just see how this goes. I'm sure the Leafs season will go in normal fashion as it normally does. I'm, I'm counting on that as a Senators fan. But even as a Senators fan myself, this has not been a great year uh, to be a, a, a Senators fan in this city. Now, I know in this church, those of you that are into sports are into basketball. I still pray for you daily, praying that you will convert and find yourselves cheering in a, in a good sport, which is ice hockey, but that's a different conversation. Anyway, it's, our, it's, 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 it's funny to think back that one year ago, from right now, the Senator season looked very, very different. The Sens were getting ready to kind of blast their way into the playoffs, and in the playoffs last year, they made it to within like one game and one goal of going to the Stanley Cup final. I don't know if any of you were watching that game, but it was game seven. Okay? In the series where if they had won it, they would have gone to the Stanley Cup final, which in Ottawa, that would have been such a major deal and so different from this season, unfortunately. But it was in game seven, and not only was it in game seven that they lost by one goal, it was in double overtime. It was so close. If they had been the ones who had scored that goal, who knows? Maybe last year the Sens would have won the Cup. So close. One goal, double overtime, game seven. But that was it. That's as close as they got last year. And certainly much closer last year than than they've got this year. And I don't know about you in your own life. Do you have one of those kind of so close kind of stories. Maybe some of you are athletes yourself, and you can think about different kind of sporting competitions where there was something so close. You know, the Olympics just wrapped up, and I, I remember hearing in the news about one, I forget which, um, which kind of athletic uh, competition it was, but there was actually, even down to the millisecond, I think hundreds of a second, two people that got the exact same time, so they won the same level of medal. I mean, just like, just closeness, just like that. Absolutely incredible. If you had stories like that in, in your own life of something that is so, so close, maybe it's not been in athletics, maybe uh, in Ottawa where we're such a driven city, we're quite an intellectual city, quite an accomplished city, maybe it's in education for you, maybe you can think of a time where you were working really, really hard towards a degree. And there was maybe a university that you wanted to get into, a program that you wanted to get into, and if I just get that grade, then that'll be it, and you, you, you came so close to it. I don't know if there's a so close story in your life. Maybe it's something that, that is not kind of on the exterior that way, but it's something that's even more deeply personal. Maybe it's a relationship, a relationship where you're thinking, I think, I think this is it. I think this is going to be the one. And it seems like it's so close to what you want it to be, but it doesn't quite get there. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Is it possible spiritually, is there such thing as spiritually being so close but not quite there when it comes to God and when it comes to the kingdom of God. The verses that we're looking at this morning that Ryan read to us a few minutes ago would give a very clear yes to that question. It is possible to be so close, but just not there when it comes to being counted part of the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at what's going on here in Mark chapter 12. First, just a really quick summary of the earlier part of the chapter. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, You'll know that we've had, we've had some pretty heavy teaching um, in this building over the past few weeks. I myself, as I've been preaching, I've found it just very emotionally, you're just kind of all in. It's tiring, it's very personal, it's very pastoral. I've received texts from some of you who have found the same thing, all of encouragement, but all like, man, this is really, this is hitting close to home. This, we really feel this 
really, really closely. And what that's been born out of has been a number of confrontations between Jesus and the religious leaders in Mark chapter 12. And the way that they tend to go is this, is the religious rulers of the day, this is many, many years ago, would come up to Jesus and they would have a plan to try to trick him. They want to lay traps for him, and they would come up with, with a, what they would think would be a very clever question that they want to ask of Jesus to kind of trick him. And off they would go, and each and every time, Jesus does not step into the trap. Each and every time, Jesus shows that his wisdom is superior to that, theirs, and he doesn't end up falling for the trap. Now, we can read that, and in my own Christian upbringing, growing up in a Christian culture myself, I was really taught that it was the religious leaders, and some of the language we would give that would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're the ones that are really, really bad. Don't try to, you know, don't, whatever you do in your Christian life, for those of you that are Christians here this morning, don't be like them. They're really, really bad. But we should ask the question, well, why are there so many stories about that in the Gospels? Why are there so many confrontations between the religious leaders of the day and Jesus in the Gospels? If it was just that we weren't supposed to be like them, wouldn't like one or two stories do? Wouldn't we kind of get the idea? I think God wants us to know something a bit further than that. I think he wants us to know that there is something like them in each of us. There is something in each of us that leans towards empty religion and towards exterior religion and going through the motions and kind of putting on this performance of being holy and being the perfect Christian and having life all sorted, all the while having hearts that are far from God. See, the religious leaders of the day were very much like that themselves. They could run laps around any of us when it came to knowing God's word. Chapter and verse, bang, 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 bang. The law, God's law, the first, the first five books of the Bible, although they'll tell you, they'll sit you down. They could recite it. They were required to. As young boys, they were required to. They had to memorize it, memorize it, memorize it. Still, they had hearts that were far from God. So we mustn't hear these stories and just think, oh my goodness, look how bad they are. If, if I was like them, I'd be falling at the feet of Jesus. You know what? Probably not. We would probably be doing the exact same thing. And I'll talk about that a little bit later because we all have examples in our lives where we still do that. That's why these stories are even in this book. is because God wants us to understand that there's something of that in each of us a leaning towards dead religion while we have hearts that are so far from God. So what's going on in this exchange? This exchange is a little bit different. We have a plot twist in this one because there's a scribe that walks in on a conversation with Jesus and some of his colleagues, and this scribe notices, we read it in Mark chapter 12, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, that's Jesus, answered them well, The scribe then goes and asks something. The scribe shows up and he notices that Jesus is answering his colleagues' questions really well. So he has a question of his own. Which commandment is the most important one of all? Which commandment is the most important one of all? And even within that, it's interesting to note that we don't get the same sort of preamble in Mark's gospel that we do in some other examples. We we don't read anything like, you know, and coming to test Jesus or coming to try to destroy him. We just get the scribe's question. Is this scribe different? Is this religious leader different? What is it that's going on here? Now, the question that he asks is a huge question. Jesus, what commandment in Scripture? And there are a lot. Some of you have tried to do the Bible in a year. 
And it's frustrating, isn't it? Because Bible in a year goes really, really well for the first couple weeks of January until you hit the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is just such a sucker because you get into Leviticus and you're like, ah, these are hard things to read, command after command after command. And many of them that when it comes to our culture, whew, Bible in a year that seems so inspiring on January 1st, this is going to be a different year. Man, when we get to Leviticus, oh, you know what? <laughs> I can't do this. It's just too heavy. Man, I'll just skip through it or I'll just stop altogether. So all of those commands in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, just all of it, all the commands in the Old Testament. Jesus, which one is the most important command? Which one, if you were to pull it out, the rest of them, they just all crumble. The whole house just comes crumbling down. Jesus, which one is it? When it comes to religion, when it comes to faith or to God, maybe you've wondered the same thing. Maybe you've wondered, you know what, there's a lot, there's a lot of command uh, commands in this book. There's a lot of teaching in this book. There's a lot of exhortations and encouragements. What is the most important one? If there was just one that I could live by, which one would it be? See, we like to pick and choose that way. We like to find the ones that we think, well, this, this is the priority one. This is the one that matters the most. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus even answers the question almost acknowledging that. He answers the question in such a way that would suggest, yeah, there are One, Jesus actually answers two that are more important than all the other and that act as a foundation. But we do that. There's something in the human heart that's looking, God, no, really. I know you got a lot in there. It's a lot in there. Kind of toned it down a little bit. It doesn't have to really be so many. But out of all the ones that are in there, what is really the most important? What is the most important commandment? Now, in our culture, if you were to ask people about the commandments in the Bible, you know, what do you know about the commandments? A lot of people would say, well, the Ten Commandments. You know, I, I was told the Ten Commandments, you know, sometime in school or in my upbringing or my grandmother had a plaque up on her living room wall that said the Ten Commandments or something like that. It's interesting, there was a survey that was done in the UK just uh, last October. People were uh, surveyed and asked, out of the Ten Commandments, which ones do they feel are still the most important for living life today? Which of the Ten Commandments are the most important for living life today? And if we can get this graphic up on the screen, I just want to talk you through what they found it's kind of cool. We got this like kind of, uh, I don't know what's going on in the background. That's, uh, that, that looks fun. All right. Um, anyway, of, of the Ten Commandments, this is what they found. Thou shalt not murder. 93% thought that thou shalt not murder was still quite important. 5% said they don't know whether it's important, which is frightening because that means 2% thought that that one did not matter at all. So that should concern us. If you have friends that think that command doesn't matter, you should reconsider your friendship with them. There's some life advice, all right? Um, thou shalt not steal, exact same numbers. You shall not bear false witness. That's telling lies about other people. 87% thought that that was still important. You shall not commit adultery. 73% thought that that was still Important honor, which is obeying your father and your mother. 69% felt that that was still important. You shall not covet. That's not desiring, not wanting other people's possessions, other people's things. 61% feel that that's still important. But then we see a shift. There's a shift that happens here. You shall not worship idols. Only 31% think that that's still important for living today. 31%. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Only 23% feel that that's important today, according to this survey. I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Only 20% feel that that is important. And then finally, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. 19% found that that was still important. Do you see what's going on here? There's a pattern to that survey. There's a pattern to how culturally we think about God's law. The commands that we feel are still important are the commands where we think we could be the victim. You notice that? Don't murder. Well, that's a personal thing if you're murdered. That's pretty personal. Don't steal. If somebody steals something from you, that's very personal. Don't commit adultery. If you're in a relationship, if you're married, your spouse, or even if it's not in a marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend cheats on you, that's personal. You are the one who is offended. You are the one who is hurt. But then did you see where the shift was? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't worship other gods. Don't worship other idols. The one where God is seen to be the victim. How do we feel about that? It's not important. The fascinating thing about this study is that it is actually a scientific measurement of the selfishness of the human heart. We are a selfish people. And when we feel that we are the ones that could be wronged, we think that there's a value there that is very important that all others should live by. But if we think that God is the one that could be wronged, well, that doesn't matter quite as much. And I don't want to pick on, we have a lot of British people in this church, I don't want to pick on our tea-drinking monarchist overlords that are in this room (laughs) right now. If that same survey was to be done here in Canada, I suspect that the exact same numbers would come out. But here's the thing, you know what the Bible teaches about sin and about rights and wrongs? When it comes to wrongs that are committed against you, and some of those things that I've just listed off, look, look, some of you have had big things stolen from you, or small things, it's still wrong. Some of you have been cheated on. All these different examples. But you know what? Even though you feel like you are the only victim in that, you know who is the greater victim? It's God. All sin, all sin ultimately is committed against God. And friends, that should encourage you this morning. Because when you are grieved because of wrongs that have been committed against you, God is grieved even more. His grief is not only because he sees you as somebody that he loves, a man or a woman made in his image who is grieving, but ultimately it's been committed against him. That's why in Scripture, God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Heavy words. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Repay. Why? God, why are you so interested in this? God's saying it's because it was ultimately committed against me. All of it. Friends, God's law that we read about in the Bible, it's not all about us. We don't sit at the very center of it. God does. It's about him and his glory and his holiness. And we read through these things and we think, my goodness, there are so many commandments. This is tough reading. I'm glad I chose to go to Grace City Church because it's just all about grace. We don't even talk about the commandments of Grace City Church. Oh, no, we do. We do. The commandments that are in this book, they still matter. God's law still matters, but not in the way that you think it does and that I often think that it does. It's not that if we just keep all of these commandments, then we have earned our salvation, which is totally my story growing up, many of yours as well. If I just do all of the right things, then God will accept me. The point of the law is to show you that you can't do all of the right things. You'll fail. You will fail. Try as hard as you may. You will not be able to do it. And it's as though God's law is designed to show you. Do you want to know what a life would look like if you did all of the right things? It would look like this. It would look like obeying all of these laws. 
Whew, okay, well, here I go. I'm going to try. January 1st, Bible in a year. Here I go. And we don't even go to bed that night before we realize, whoops, <laughs> another year, another failure, an attempt at keeping all of the law, attempt at obeying God in every single way. We just can't do it. Let's get back to our story. The scribe approaches Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus answers the question. He says this in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. He says this. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's it. That's it. It's the answer to the question. What are the most, what's the most important commandment? Jesus gives two. Firstly, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. He's not just talking about the neighbor in your building or your street. He's talking about those around you. Love them like you would want to be loved yourself. Some of you are thinking, well, it's easy for me to, to love the people around me as I am loved myself because I don't feel like I'm loved myself or I don't even love myself. That's not what Jesus is speaking about. It's treating them the way that you would want to be treated. Even if you don't think highly of yourself right now, still Jesus is saying, treat others around you the way that you would want to be treated, the way that you would want to be loved, irrespective of whether you feel that towards yourself right now or not. Now, interestingly, the scribe then, and this is, this is again, this is kind of the plot twist. The scribe then goes and essentially says, Jesus, you're right. Like, you're right. He says it. You are right. Teacher, you have said that he is one and there's no one beside him. And to love him with all of the heart and all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's saying, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, what you're saying is right. To love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves is more important than all of the ritual things, ritualistic things that we can go through that the early commandments talk about. That's far important, far more important. If we were just to go through all of the sacrifices, but we're not doing it out of a heart of love, if we were to go through all the religious motions, but we're not loving our neighbor, what's it all for? Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the emphasis on love. If we have all of these things, if we do all of these things, but we don't have love, we have nothing. The scribe's essentially saying the same type of thing. Yeah, God, if we don't do all of these things, the obeying of your law with an attitude of love towards God and towards our neighbors, then what's it all for? Jesus, you're right. Then what does Jesus say? Jesus' answer to him is fascinating, or his comment and reply. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. We can understand that as you are close. You are so close. What's up with that? Why wasn't it enough? I remember when I first read this, I remember, but Jesus, he answered wisely. Like Mark's even written that down. He answered, why, why does he hear you are close to the kingdom of God? It's important that we know that Jesus is not rebuking him in that moment. He's not rebuking him. He's saying, yeah, you're, you're on the right track. You're close. You are close to the kingdom of God. Why does this scribe hear that he is close? Friends, this is very, very important. This is why he was told that he was close to the kingdom of God, but not that he was counted as part of the kingdom of God. It's for this reason. 
is that in that discussion, the scribe failed to recognize that even those two commandments, he had not done perfectly. Those two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Some of you are sitting here, and I read these verses myself, and I go, no, there are times when I love God with my heart, with my soul, my mind, my strength, you know, with, with every part of it that I am. We need to read even the short words, all, all. And if we're honest, and if the scribe's honest, we know that we have failed at that. The scribe in that dialogue failed to recognize that he was not perfect at it and that there were times when he did not love God with his whole heart, soul, mind, strength, when he hadn't perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. And that's why he hears, you're close, you're close. But what the scribe should have recognized is that he needed help. And not only that he needed help, but the one that he needed help from was standing right in front of him. He needed a rescuer. So what came of the scribe? I wish I could tell you. I wish I could say, no, if we just turn ahead a few pages to this, this book, this chapter, this verse, we can find out what happened to the scribe. The, the answer to that question is we don't know. We don't know what came of the scribe. We don't know whether he at a later time recognized that he needed help, that he hadn't done this perfectly We simply do not know, but friends, what I want to present to you this morning is that leaving here with the question of, hmm, I wonder what happened to the scribe is not the right question. It's not the best question to kind of wonder. I wonder what he ended up deciding. The question is, what will you decide? What will you do with this? Knowing that you do not obey God with everything that you have and love him with everything that you have and love your neighbor as you would want to be loved yourself perfectly, perfectly, What will you do knowing that? Well, the Bible says that there's a consequence to that. We all are deserving of punishment. God created us to love him and to love him above all else and to worship him alone as God. And all around this room, there would be different stories of different pains that we have caused in other people's life and pain that has been caused in our life because we have put other things ahead of God or those around us have put other things ahead of God. And you know what? They can even be good things. I was chatting with friends earlier this week. They were telling me a story that was incredibly hard to hear. And they were talking about how they had somebody who was close to them that put good things, good Christian mission things, first. And it was worshipped as God and it left a trail of destruction behind them. So I'm not just talking about like the evil, the, the, the super, super bad things. Even good things we can worship above God and it still causes destruction. It still causes pain. God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to worship him and to love him first above all of it. Have no other gods before me, even good gods like family, good gods like church. These are good things. Still, God, you are above it all. You are above it all. And when we get that order the wrong way around, there's pain suffering that we cause to others and that others can cause to us. But friends, there is good news. There's good news. The God of the Bible is a faithful God and he's a gracious God. And even though we cannot love him perfectly and we don't love him all the time with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we don't always love our neighbor as ourselves, still he is kind to us. 
He is patient with us. He is gracious towards us. I want to refer you to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verses 2 and 3. God says something fascinating through the prophet Jeremiah. He says this, Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. He's talking about the people of Israel going through the desert. You can read about it in Exodus. Some of you have seen films about this. Those people found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And we hear that, and God's speaking about the Israelites in the desert. And if you're familiar with the story, you might be led to think, like I am, God, you love those people (laughs) with an everlasting love? Those people, the ones that you rescued out of slavery, you led them through a sea that you split, and the sea swallowed up their enemies behind them who were in pursuit of them to kill them. God, you rescued them in such incredible, miraculous fashion. And yet still those people go and they worship gods from other lands. Moses goes up a mountain to spend time with God and he comes back down and the people have taken their jewelry off and have melted it and they make a golden calf. Those people? You've loved those people with an everlasting love? God's saying yes. Because the right reading of the story of Exodus, friends, is our story. This is what we do. Christians in the room, this is what we do. We come and we can throw our hands in the air and we say, God, I love you, I worship you. And genuinely, we can have hearts that are longing towards that and wanting that. But give it enough time and we find ourselves pursuing other things, other gods. And God still says to us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Friends, God is so gracious to us. He's so patient with us. He's so full of grace. He's so full of mercy. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, there are just so many times in my own life where I know that I don't love God with everything that I have and I don't love my neighbor as myself, friends, God has done this for you in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the entire point of the gospel, is that we can't do it on our own. We can't do it perfectly. The fascinating thing about Jesus saying to this scribe, you are close to the kingdom of God, is that that scribe was close in two senses. He was close in his understanding. You're thinking it already, aren't you? He was close physically. He was standing beside or in front of or whatever, close to Jesus the one who did it perfectly on his behalf, the only one who has perfectly loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, the only one who has perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. And here's the incredible thing about the gospel is that while we were getting, you know, just being so busy with with not loving God with everything that we are and not loving our neighbors well, still God was orchestrating a plan to rescue us out of love and faithfulness towards us. While we were still enemies of God. While we were enemies. Enemies of God. Oh man, Christian culture doesn't like to talk about language like that. We really don't. If you are separated right now from God because you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ... In the eternal sense, with a God who is holy and you as a sinner, you're an enemy of God. 
you're not just lukewarm towards him, apathetic, mm, I don't know, maybe, good thing God's love. No, you know what? If there has not been remedy for your sin, you are seen as an enemy of God, deserving of penalty, deserving of death. But God in his love and in his grace has made a way for that penalty to not be placed on you and to be placed on the only one who has kept all the law perfectly. That's why we're called Grace City Church, by the way. The law in this book, it matters because it shows us what holy living looks like. But it also points us to the only one who has ever done it perfectly. And that's the step that so many people fail to take. You can go to a lot of churches around town, around this province, around this nation, around the world that will tell you, oh, no, we agree, the law matters a lot. But they won't tell you that Jesus is the only one who's done it perfectly for you. And the way through is to place your faith in him and not to place your faith in the law. Is to trust Jesus with your life, trust Jesus with your everything, and to receive his free gift of salvation, and to not to try to earn your salvation by keeping all of the rules because you will fail. Just as a scribe failed, just as I fail, and you fail. God is so gracious, and he's made a way for us not only to be able to be. Uh, you know, like the scribe kind of on the outskirts of the kingdom of God looking in. And you can tell he's kind of marveling at it. He's like, man, Jesus, you're so wise. You're a great teacher. This is, this is incredible. That, doesn't, that isn't what God wants for us. It is limits. He wants us drawn straight in. He wants us right in with him as a loving father would embrace a child. Zara, my four-year-old daughter and I, we have this thing right now. I think I'm quite clever about this. Like, Zara, are you strong? Yeah, I'm really, really strong, Daddy. Okay, if you're really, really strong, I'm going to lean down. I want you to grab a hold of my neck, and I want you to squeeze as hard as you can. She doesn't know I'm tricking her because I just want an amazing hug, right? She's just, she's just like trying to flex her muscles. So she squeezes onto me with everything that she has, right? And she's thinking, oh, my muscles. And I'm going, this is the best hug in the world. I absolutely love this. And we're so close. We're so close. And as she gets older, there's going to be a time when she realizes, oh, Daddy's been tricking me. Daddy wants to know that I'm close with him and that he's close with me. You know that your Father in Heaven wants that for you times a billion? We can so easily think of God as this distant, kind of ruling figure, who knows where in the sky, throwing lightning bolts at us, but he has to love us, but he doesn't like us very much. You know what? God's love for you is so great that he would send his only son, Jesus Christ. He would give his very best so that he could embrace you for all of eternity. Close. So many of us are kind of like my daughter where we think, well, no, maybe he's just, he's just doing it because he's wanting to show me something else. Or he's doing it because he's wanting to show us. You know what? He's doing it because he loves to hold you close. For some of you this morning, this is going to be the morning where you get it. He's doing it because of grace. He's doing it because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. Not because of anything you've brought to the table, not because of anything that you have in you that he is lacking and he needs close to him. He's doing it by grace because he loves you, because he has chosen to love you. Are you part of his kingdom? Are you part of his family? The good news of Jesus Christ doesn't just mean forgiveness for sin, although that's good news in itself, but it means forgiveness of sin and adoption into the family of God. This morning, you can become a son or a daughter of God. And if you're here this morning and you know that you've already surrendered your life to Jesus, but you also know that there are times when you don't do this perfectly, welcome to the club. You're in a great place because we're journeying on this together. This morning, come to him again. 
and just enjoy his grace again. Father, I'm sorry for the times I've got this wrong, but thank you that Jesus has done this perfectly for me. And again this morning, I place my faith and I place my trust in him as my Savior. We have reasons to worship this morning. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to invite Emily and Kelly to come get set up. We're going to take communion in a few minutes together. Communion is when we remember where Jesus won our salvation. It should have been us on the cross. We should have been the ones that were up there receiving the penalty. But God in his love made a way for his son to go to the cross in our place, the perfect spotless lamb of God. And for those that have placed their faith in Jesus, when Jesus was on that cross, Jesus took the penalty for your sin and for mine if you've placed your faith in Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. That is how we know acceptance from God the Father. Those of us that fail so many times to love God perfectly and love our neighbors perfectly, that is how we are still loved by God is because he sees us through his son. So let's stand. Let's worship the son. Will you stand with me? Let's worship this Jesus.